Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. It's a beautiful and balmy day here in Chicago. But before we rush out to soak up the sun, we've got to get caught up on all the big news this week. Chicago will be in the spotlight for the 2024 presidential election. We are honored and pleased um, to be the host committee for the Democratic National Convention in 2024. A CPD officer involved in the Adam Toledo shooting came under new scrutiny. Officer Eric Stillman has been placed on a 30-day administrative leave. And the ComEd trial featured a star witness. An Illinois appellate court justice and best-selling author has testified at the ComEd bribery trial in Chicago. we got a lot to discuss, so let's jump right in. Here to help us make sense of the week's news is Chicago Tribune political reporter Alice Yin, David Grising, president of the Better Government Association, and WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. All right, so state Democratic leaders were celebrating this week, and they're gearing up to host a massive political party. That's next summer's Democratic National Convention. How surprised were all of you that Chicago beat out New York and Atlanta? Not terribly, frankly. The whole blue wall argument, uh, trying to secure these Midwestern states, this fits. And especially given that the Republicans are doing this uh, in Milwaukee, right? So that... um, you know, you want to match that. Guys, and, we're on the Midwest anyway. Yeah. 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 Any surprises for you, Alice? Uh, no, I think it was what was really compelling is uh, J.B. Pritzker's uh, purse, purse strings. Um, I think, you know, given that he, I think, gave $10 million to, like, the Wisconsin Supreme Court race and um, has just been um, a really consistent um, funder for a, a lot of Democratic causes, um, why wouldn't you just accept that versus risk um, having more debt in the other cities? So. Yeah, for sure. Dave? You know, somebody needs to play the Macarena because that was, that was, the, <laughs> oh, song yeah. of, that was the song of the 1996 <laughs> yes. DNC here in Chicago. And all time of that earlier some of us, there, There's some scar tissue in my head of all these politicians doing the Macarena. I used to be really good at the Macarena. Uh. <laughs> uh, so what details, Alice, do we have so far on what the convention will actually look like? Um, not much. Uh, we know it's going to be at the United Center in the evening, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that uh, one of the main reasons Chicago was chosen cause it's, is because it's a strong union town. So you can expect that um, we're going to be picking um, union hotels, that um, the CFL is going to be, um, and all their conglomerate units, u- unions are going to be, uh, you know, vying for, um, you know, contracts and um, vendors that mm-hmm. are going to support that cause. Um, I think it remains to be seen how security is going to be handled, but we have a lot of lessons to learn from past conventions. So, uh, yeah, it remains yeah. to be seen. Yeah, it's going to be held August 19th through 22nd and is expected to bring between five and 7,000 delegate, delegates and alternates and up to 50,000 visitors to the city. Dave, Senator Tammy Duckworth, who's a co-chair of the Democratic National Committee, now she says that she's been working on this for almost two years Walk us through some of the other main players here, bringing the convention here. Well, I mean, I I think, you know, of course, uh, Governor Pritzker, I think, was front and center in in this whole thing. I mean, he he and his chief of staff, Ann Caprera, were the ones that kind of, you know, had the dream child. Let's do this. And and so, you know, having having uh, uh, Senator Duckworth be in this position of authority, uh, having friendly relations with with Joe Biden and, and then more importantly, being in a state where. You know, it, it's so heavily blue in Illinois that, that you know, 
it's not a problem hosting a president whose approval ratings are as bad as Biden's are. They don't have to run from him. Yeah. And so, so you know, uh, Pritzker, I think, was the, the main driver and shaker of this. And it was his relationship with Biden that really swung things, plus, you know, uh, the purse strings. And it fits into his effort to carve out a more a significant national profile. Yeah. And also, besides his own money, he also pulled in, you look at the picture of the press announcement, the, the little, the character that's not as well known as Michael Sachs, who is a nationally prominent fundraiser and uh, is also going to kind of sign on to kind of run the backside of this in terms of working with delegates, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So it's a significant group. And Chicago's history with the 68 convention is, of course, trouble. The 99th convention went off without a hitch. And then they recently had the NATO uh, uh uh, meeting. So they're prepared so we're to ready. run this. Yeah, it I think like. so. I mean, to your point earlier, I mean, it's interesting that the two political conventions will be held 90 minutes from each other. Is this a sign here? Is the Midwest going to be this central battleground in the presidential election, you think, David? Well, absolutely. And we've already seen that Governor Pritzker got involved in that uh, Supreme Court race that that put Janet Protashevitz, uh a liberal uh, justice onto the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court. And there are going to be some rulings by that court about um, presumably about voting rights, et cetera, heading into the 2024 uh, abortion um, too. Yeah. and abortion convention. Alice, although Mayor Lightfoot had been lobbying to bring the convention here, she actually won't be the mayor next summer when it's taking place. What did Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson have to say about all of this, though? Yeah, um, he pitched... Um, I guess a very forward thinking um, message to Biden when uh, the president called him to congratulate him for his victory. He was saying, um, you know, Chicago is where the excitement is at. Chicago is where um, our progressive values as Democrats um, are really like taking shape and taking over. And I think uh, he really um, tried to convince Biden that the excitement is in Chicago versus, you know, Atlanta and New York, where, you know, I think uh, Georgia and Atlanta hold a special place in Biden's heart because of, you know, um, how it helped him get elected um, and their history as a cradle of the civil rights movement. Right, right. Um, But, you know, Republican controlled right to work state. Um, New York, meanwhile, you know, strongly blue, of course. Uh, But I feel like there hasn't been that much excitement about, you know, progressive values winning in New York. Um, They honestly, like, lost a lot of races in the midterms, um, mm-hmm. even in uh, New York City proper. So um, I think they're, they're, the state Democrats there um, have some figuring out to do, I think. Yeah. Another question on folks' minds, David. Uh, folks might be asking this. How much is this incredible party going to cost all of us, the well, taxpayers? the estimate is $80 million. That's, oh, taxpayers. It's going to cost rich people $80 million. Um, the promise is that it won't cost taxpayers a nickel. And in fact, the sale pitch to Chicagoans is, hey, there's going to be all kinds of economic development. The Philadelphia convention in 2016, the last full-blown convention, supposedly generated $230 million of economic impact. And going back to Brandon Johnson, he made a statement about this is going to include the West Side. And the United Center technically is on the West Side. Yes. But if you mean the far West Side, the neighborhoods, that would be unprecedented if they figure out a way to make the neighborhoods 
involved in care about this kind of convention. Vendors might come from some of the neighborhoods, but uh, it fits into uh, Brandon Johnson's messaging. And then we also will find out a little bit about how effective he is if he really is able to help bring yeah. the neighborhoods in and help them benefit from this. Talking about the money, as you said, Prisker's promise that taxpayers won't be picking up the bill. He's even gone so far as to hint that he will fund it if necessary. Let's listen to a bit of what he had to say on Wednesday. Me personally, I, 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 what I guaranteed is that I and the committee that we put together will work extraordinarily hard to raise all of the dollars necessary. Any thoughts on how they will raise that money, Dave? You know what? I don't think they're going to have any trouble at all. I mean, you know, this is, this is, you know, the corporate uh, purse strings, you know, Chicago is home to, you know, the, the, the Abbott labs and on and on. We've got corporate headquarters here. They're all going to want a piece of this. Uh, even some Republican donors might might jump in, you know, just to help kind of burnish the city's image here a little bit. But but by and large, you know, there's not going to be a problem with money here. Uh, and, and you know, I don't I, I think, you know, to your point earlier, David, about, you know, the, the potential economic impact of this. I think, you know, I've seen to counter that a little bit. I've seen some you know studies that show that the economic impact of these things is pretty marginal. It's it's more of it's more just a kind of a fun weekend for political nerds. There's this bubble that kind of goes over the yes, city, absolutely. and and you, you know yeah. you might you might one day be at a, a, a crosswalk and there go the Foo Fighters, you yeah. know, just walking across the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember that happened to me when I was in Charlotte covering the convention down there, and you, you know these things, they're, they're 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 good in a way, and especially you know in a city coming out of the pandemic when you know we kind of you know there are parts of downtown, for example, that are really uh, kind of empty, you know, right. this will bring people there. And that, that, that is a good thing, you, you know, but this will not be the end all be all answer yeah. economically to anything. I don't think this is reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And we're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with Chicago Tribune political reporter, Alice Yin, WBEZ state politics reporter, Dave McKinney and David Grising, president of the better government association. A reminder to folks that you can now watch the weekly news recap live on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. You can also leave us a comment or question. You can talk to us in that YouTube chat box. And I may just read what you have to say about these stories on the air. Shamrock Bloom, our Wonderful friend on YouTube says, I love that they are coming to (laughs) Chicago. It will be hard for the far west side neighborhoods to benefit from the economic impact of the influx of people. Uh, So back to our our conversation before, you know, besides agreeing to pick up the tab for this party, what would you say, David, are some of the other reasons that the DNC might have chosen us? Well, uh, Chicago, the, the what's going on with Brandon Johnson's election, as he said um, at, on election night, is this merger of union, the progressive agenda, and civil rights. I mean, that's something that he's trying to push very hard and will be a theme of his campaign. And for the Democratic Party, which is fighting against uh, an increasingly conservative Republican Party, at least the Trump wing, as well as a Supreme Court that has no interest in the civil rights agenda. This is an opportunity to push back and really make Chicago's selection a litmus test for the progressive and civil rights agenda in contrast to the the agenda the Republican Party is pushing out there. So it does, the, the Milwaukee-Chicago uh, duopoly there really does say a lot about politics in this country at this particular moment in time. And we have a little more than a year now to watch that unfold. Yeah. And and as we've mentioned, Dave, the the 1996 Democratic Convention, it really transformed the West Side around the United Center from industrial and and blighted 
into this hip area with uh, trendy, expensive restaurants even. You covered the 96 convention. Talk more about the impact you think that convention had and what kind of impact next summer's convention will have. Well, you, you know, David brought up the 1968 convention. And up until that point, that was kind of what was on people's minds. You know, that was a – we were in the midst of a, of a war in Vietnam. There were, uh, you know, there were, there were assassinations uh, – Martin Luther King and uh, Bobby Kennedy, the, the country was just torn apart. And then it didn't help, uh, you know, when, when young people came here to protest conditions to have uh, Mayor Daley unleash, you know, billy clubs and, and, and the such. The police mm-hmm. rioted yes. is what, is what yeah. the yeah. Warren Report the, the Grand The Grand right. Park, you know, yeah. people getting clubbed in the head over that was a terrible, terrible thing. And so ni- 1996 was just the opposite. It was kind of a you know, uh, uh, we had at that point, the United Center was a, a brand new building. Uh, it, it was, uh, uh, you know, this bubble that got created. Uh, you know, I remember there were public works efforts underway. And, and I think, you know, if you're driving on the uh, on, on uh, you know, through through town there, you can still lo- look uh, the, the bridge over the uh, 1994s was one that they had decked out with kind of this patriotic looking stuff. It's kind of yeah. run down now, but but there are relics of it. But it I just, bet it gets repainted. Yeah, yeah. at a minimum, yeah. and maybe <laughs> spruced up. But but it's a good thing for the city. There's I no mean, question. Alice, is the hope is part of the hope here that the convention is, is going to bring people and businesses back into the loop in, in Michigan Avenue? Um, I would say the main hope is probably um, more optics-wise, like harder to pin down. Um, you know, there will be, as we talked about, the temporary influx of, you know, money and business. But I think overall it's a chance for Chicago to recast its reputation. Um, I would say— Could it change this national, this narrative of, you know, Chicago is just this public face of crime? Um, I think so. You know, um, within an hour of it being announced, we have Republican spokespeople, like, joking about, you better get your bulletproof vest ready. Um, and it's certainly oh. not a new joke people make about Chicago, but I think since the pandemic— our reputation has been kind of really battered even more. And, um, you know, there is some merit to it. We have struggled a lot in the past few years. And I think this is a chance to show um, we are a world-class city, as a lot of people like to say. Mm-hmm. And um, we bring a lot of um, both uh, diversity and um we kind of represent, I guess, the most American city, as other people like to say. And um, it could kind of really dispel notions about Chicago. Yeah. Um, and that's not going to you know, change just from one convention, but it's a good step. Back now with more of the weekly news recap. Prosecutors wrapped up their case in the ComEd corruption trial. Let's walk through some of the week's highlights. Dave, how about we start with yesterday's testimony? Well, yeah, I mean, we've we've been at this now for a month. This trial started in, in mid-March. And yes. the, so I, I think it's now we're in the, the defense phase of this. And uh, on Thursday, former ComEd CEO Anne Promajori took the stand at the very end of the day. Um, you know, it's a bit of a gambit on her part because she's uh, the, you know, the only one of the four defendants who so far publicly has said that they will be testifying in their own descent, defense. I mean, this is a case, of course, that revolves around the, the theory that, you know, these four defendants, all former ComEd executives and lobbyists, uh, conspired together to bribe former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan with, uh, you know, no, no uh, you know, ghost contracting jobs, uh, favors and things like that mm-hmm. uh, in exchange for, for favorable legislation. Um, you know, so far up into this point with the prosecution resting, uh, we've, we've heard close to 150 uh, video and audio recordings. I mean, the prosecutors have just laid on an avalanche of evidence here. 
And now, uh, you know, in Promisori, she's trying to soften uh, the, the image that jurors might have of her. You know, they've, they've heard up to this point some pretty damning tapes of her, uh, you know, fawning over uh, Madigan, uh, signing off on some of these these job hires of his. I mean, Interesting. It, it just, you know, it, it's just fascinating to watch. She'll be on the stand for at least a few more days. And, and I think prosecutors are licking their chops at, at a chance to get at her because she's going to at one point or another, she's going to have to answer for these allegations. Yeah. Let's turn now to uh, testimony from a guy named Ed Moody. Who's that? Well, he's not a household name, uh, but if, if you're in the political world, he's a big deal. And uh, he was on the witness stand as a prosecution witness uh, under, you know, he, he had an agreement with the government that they wouldn't charge him. Uh, he, he is the self-proclaimed number one precinct captain, formerly, for Madigan, which in the 13th Ward was a big deal. He was an mm-hmm. expert at going door to door. Uh, he, he would parachute into Madigan's uh, closest legislative races around the state, just an expert at, at relating to people. And he was one of these people who got one of the, the uh, no-show contracts from ComEd. Uh, his contract was filtered through a consultant who was also on trial, former City Club President Jay Doherty. He got a $45,000 a year salary. $45,000 a year salary. And it was quite amazing listening to him on the stand uh, you know, not shy about saying he did nothing uh, for most years for this money. It just arrived forty five hundred dollars every month, and he thought it was it was a reward, uh, basically for all the good work he had done knocking on doors for Madigan. Madigan had 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 arranged this for him. Yeah, you know, I, I've watched this trial closely, followed this trial closely, and I've been waiting to see the difference between just Chicago style politics and the way Madigan operated much of which is probably not illegal, and something that you could point to and say, that looks illegal. And his testimony about how much, about all the work he did that was other than work for Commonwealth Edison, I mean, he's the first witness that really starts making the case, I think, as opposed to just kind of really sleazy but possibly not illegal conduct. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to judge how these things go. I mean, if you look at the track record of the U.S. Attorney's Office, it's like this kind of everywhere you look. But, mm-hmm. but their, their rate at prosecuting uh, criminal defendants is over 90 percent. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the odds are stacked against these folks. But then you hear, you hear how they were conducting business over the phone, over these secret wire tra- taps and in meetings. And there was one call in particular where – uh, McClain, Mike McLean, one of the defendants here, a confidant of Madigan's former ComEd lobbyist, is is having this meeting with the, the, the guy that took over for Promajori at ComEd and explaining to him the benefits of having these no-work subcontractors in place. That they, <laughs> the, you know, can you imagine? Oh, and and it, it, he, you know, he, he, he hearkened back, because McLean has been around forever, yeah. hearkened back to how in the old days, Madigan used to, to be able to uh, say, hey, I need to get... You know, meter some readers. meter readers hired. You know, they, <laughs> yeah. the, the yeah. ComEd would say, "Hey, you get. We're going to have seven meter readers in your ward. You get to pick four of them." And and he called that old style political patronage. Uh, and and it was just fascinating to hear how it worked. The curtain has been pulled back on Madigan's world. Any other takeaways we should have from this trial this week, Dave? Well, I think uh, this past week it, 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 there, there were a lot of dramatic turns. I think moving forward, it's going to be fascinating to see how how these defendants try to portray this, what, what we've see, all seen and heard the last month, how it's just supposed to be legal lobbying. And I, and I do think that, you know, that there's a difference between, you know, you know, taking busloads of people to Springfield to push for a bill mm-hmm. 
versus what we saw here where, where somebody, you know, you think about how, how would your household budget be affected if you had just $4,500 arriving in the mail every month? You know, that would, that would float, you know, a new, God, a new car, a new kitchen, oh, whatever. Oh, for sure. And, and that's, that's kind of the benefit that these people in Madigan's world got thanks to, you know, the state's monopoly. Well, power our, our friends on social media are chiming in. Shamrock Bloom says, great report from Dave McKinney this morning on the prosecutor's cross-examination. Thanks for that, Dave. Uh, and on YouTube, Mike Rooney says, I'm still following the trial, but I've lost interest just because wow. I feel like the case is pretty clear cut. And uh, Mike says, I'm interested in hearing how much Lisa Madigan knew about all of this. We never hear her mentioned in any of the stories, but she must have had some idea of what was going on, right? Well, Lisa Madigan, it's interesting because a lot of her legislative policies when she was attorney general clashed with what ComEd was wanting. So it kind of, you you know, she's, she's sort of on the opposite side of the coin here in a way from what the prosecutors, the way they framed the case, that Madigan was there to be helpful to ComEd. Well, Lisa Madigan was having her people try to fight a what, lot of ComEd's One of the bills. early pieces of testimony was her him cutting a deal with ComEd to take a position to basically undermine mm-hmm. her legislative agenda. And and, yeah. and so she's a party to this, but not because she was in on the deal. She actually, her father turned against her in order to curry, you know, do business with, for ComEd. I mean, yeah. it's not the first time we've seen that. I, I mean, there's no question in my mind that there's, you know, there's genuine father-daughter love in that family. Yes. Absolutely. But, politically, but, though. <laughs> but politically, I mean, you think back to like 2014 when she was contemplating running for governor and, and she, she was just about ready to pull the trigger on that. And then uh, her, her one demand was, I don't want to run for governor and be governor if my father is Speaker of the House. And, and Speaker Madigan would not step aside for his daughter at that point. Mm. And she pulled the plug on her candidacy. That's telling. This is why Chicagoans love politics so much. So There's colorful. There's just so, <laughs> so many <nutty>. things. <laughs> Never a dull moment. All right, Alice, in another courtroom at the Dirksen Building on Wednesday, a federal judge handed out a sentence to a longtime Chicago fire inspector and ward precinct captain. What are the details? Um, yeah, uh, he was, um, I think, an aide uh, to Sandoval who... Um, was also um, tied up in a red light corruption case um, before he passed away. Um, and I think it just is another um, case of the many uh, that are stemming from the Madigan machine um, and kind of, I guess, demonstrates how um, it's kind of crumbling and uh, which, you know, on one hand could be a good sign for the future of um, rooting out corruption in Illinois. But it also is kind of concerning because it shows that, you know, there still is this pervasive culture of, uh, kind of just brazen, um, uh, you know, uh, flouting of like the ethics laws and regulations. Yeah. And uh, as I feel like there is a new chapter arriving in Chicago politics where people are bucking the establishment, um, I think it rem- what we have to look out for, what remains to be seen is whether um, the, the culture is going to be left behind mm-hmm. or whether uh, we're going to see a repeat of old patterns. Yeah, we're talking about 72-year-old Rudy Acosta here who pleaded guilty two years ago to misleading the FBI about uh, former State Senator Sandoval, as, as you mentioned, and other elected officials too. And so now the judge has given him a, a one-year probation sentence. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we are going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with Chicago Tribune political reporter Alice Yin, WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney, and David Grising, who's president of the Better Government Association. A reminder that you can watch us on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. We are live right now. You can also chat to us. And as you've heard, I'll read your comments on the 
the air. Uh, Sticking with you, Alice, we're going to move from the federal courthouse and talk city politics for a bit. Now, we're still waiting for final results on a couple of the aldermanic races, aren't we? Yeah, I believe uh, two, which I'm not too familiar with off the top of my head. But uh, for the most part, I think we have a pretty good idea of what the city council makeup is going to be coming. Yeah, looks like uh, the latest here is uh, Tina Hone conceding to Desmond Yancey in the 5th Ward Mm -hmm. on the south side. And uh, on the west side, incumbent 29th Ward Alderman Chris uh, uh, Taliaferro uh, declared victory over activist uh, C.B. Johnson. This was on Wednesday. Uh, Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson announced some of his transition team. That happened earlier this week. So who's going to be working for the new mayor? Yeah, um, so I believe it's uh, two longtime officials with SEIU, which was, um, you know, one of his uh, very big uh, labor supporters in the campaign. Um, and, you know, one of someone from his campaign who has worked a lot with uh, pro, pro, uh, political consulting and progressive circles and um, another grassroots organizer. So um, I think this all goes to show that, um, as people were speculating what happens, you know, when the movement gets to uh, City Hall, um, this is another signal that he is going to be doing things differently, that um, he is going to be taking with him the labor support that, you know, got him uh, this victory. And uh, we're going to see what happens when the when the um, someone from the union background becomes the mm. person in charge. Yeah. What are your thoughts, David? I mean, what did these appointments, you think, tell us about what the Johnson administration will look like? Well, certainly the union influence is notable and quite a contrast to the team that Lori Lightfoot put together when she took over at the mayor's office. The other thing, I, I wrote a column about this for the Tribune this week, that, and as I was researching this, I was looking into the background of these people, and and two of them have really, like, really strong uh, roster of clients who do business with the city, um, uh, a lot in the gambling sector, some in um, in airlines. Uh, one of them has a client, the city of Joliet, which has a billion-dollar 10-year contract with the city for water. Uh, and so the, the, the intersection of uh, politics and business and lobbying is quite interesting mm-hmm. and I think notable. Um, uh, four of the five people on Lori Lightfoot's transition team ended up working for the city. Um, one of them, the chief of staff, and one of them is deputy mayor. And so these positions are really important historically in terms of setting the trend toward what the administration winds up doing. Uh, like Lori Lightfoot, Brandon Johnson has used uh, the Civic Consulting Alliance, which is encouraging to us as residents of uh, this area that that these are professional people who really know how to staff an administration. A new mayor ends up hiring about 400 people, oh, most sure. of them strangers to the to the new mayor. And during the next five weeks, uh, a lot of um, uh, thrusts of the administrative policy agenda will be put into effect. And so the decisions that he has made in staffing his transition committee with these five people are really important. Another important hire for Brandon Johnson, that's going to be the police superintendent. Yesterday on Reset, we talked to Anthony Driver, who heads the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability. They're the ones tasked with bringing Mayor-elect Johnson three top candidates this summer for superintendent. Let's listen. But most importantly, I think at the top of my mind is somebody who puts the community first. I don't think we've had a person who... Uh, has done that in a long time, and mm. I think that's one of the things that's missing in our city. So when I say we're looking for a uniquely qualified person, we're looking for somebody who who can kind of set the trend and who can start that. So this is going to be a very different process for, for selecting a, a police superintendent. Have we gotten any other hints about what the mayor or, or the commission might be looking for in a police chief, Alice? Um, 
I think uh, Brandon Johnson throughout the campaign trail um, didn't give too many details besides uh, just talking about values and that he wanted the person to be a Chicagoan. Um, so uh, it remains to be seen. But I think uh, he's definitely thinking about a lot of uh, factors because it's you know a very crucial uh, decision, especially given how demoralized I think a lot of uh, the rank and file were under David Brown. So it's really a decision um, he, uh, ab- among many decisions, he uh, probably won't want to take lightly. But, um, you know, the the upper brass has really thinned out over the past few years. Um, there's not that many contenders to think Lots of. Lots of turnaround. Yeah. If you want someone from Chicago. Turnover. Yeah. Yeah. Any yeah. thoughts? The history of uh, taking people from within the ranks is very, very mixed. Eddie Johnson was fairly effective till he blew out um, on a personal matter. But Phil Klein, who came from the ranks, was not a strong superintendent. Richard Brzezak had significant, significant problems. And uh, we've seen people like Charlie Beck and on a very short-term basis, and then Gary McCarthy, who came from outside. Those are two outsiders who came in and had big impact. Just because David Brown failed in the job doesn't mean outsiders per se are wrong. Mm. And I, it'll be interesting to see who is presented to Mayor-elect Johnson and also if he pulls— if he- if he pulls takes a Rahm or a Lorian, yes. it takes somebody who's not even if on the list. If he says, that's great and all, but I've got somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Uh, speaking of CPD, and before we take a pause, Dave, interim police chief Eric Carter, he made ed- headlines this week recommending uh, disciplining the officer who shot and killed 13-year-old Adam Toledo. What, what are the details? Well, the, the Chicago Police Board in May is going to be taking up this case again about whether to fire uh, Officer uh, Eric Stillman, who was involved in the Toledo shooting. Um David Brown uh, advised against discipline against the uh, officer, and so now this is a turnabout uh, that 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 uh, y- you know that that will settle hopefully this longstanding case. Now, I mean, we all remember that horrible video of, of what happened to that young man in the yes. alley, and you know there were, you know, it, it's one of those things where you look at it and it's 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 a split second decision, and it's horrible to see a life snuffed out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it's hard to. It's hard to know what you would do in the in the shoes of that police officer when you saw a gun at at, at risk there and you didn't know what the intentions were. It's difficult on on multiple layers, yeah. right? And then yeah. of course add to that that he was a kid, yeah. right? Uh, Mike Rooney on YouTube says, "I'm happy to see that he recommended the officer be relieved of his duties. You should not be allowed to be a cop if you shoot someone who's running away, especially a 13 year old child." Uh, Shamrock Bloom on YouTube says. Me too. That case was egregious. That young man shot and killed while running away. A five-day suspension is laughable. I mean, it's interesting, I think, to see how two superintendents can actually come to such very different conclusions on on what should happen here. So that really does speak to what we were saying before, the importance of who is going to ultimately be chosen as the next superintendent. Yeah, and I think it also... um... Another interesting thing is, like, two other policies are stemming from that case in which... You know, uh, Mayor Lightfoot wanted to and succeeded in reforming the foot foot pursuit policy as a direct result of that shooting. And then um, another one soon after. And uh, Mayor Luck Johnson wants to get rid of ShotSpotter. And one of his main reasons he cites is that shooting, because that's what alerted cops initially to um, where Adam was. All right, we're back to break down the week's top stories. Workers at the Museum of Science and Industry, they voted to organize a union 
David, this is becoming quite the trend at local museums. Yeah, it certainly is. The Art Institute, the School of the Art Institute, the Field Museum, the Newberry Library, they've all been rolling into this big union movement going on in Chicago. Getting back to what we were talking about earlier in in the show is is like there is a union thing happening here. Uh, the, the next up is the Museum of Science and Industry. Uh, 54 members signed a letter of intent to unionize and um, given the trend, it probably will end up happening. The common thread here is these workers feel like they're underpaid. They feel like they're worked too hard. A lot of them are being asked to do to work a lot of overtime, et cetera. And it, when you yeah. have others also unionizing, it's uh, we've seen it happen in the news industry, right? We've seen unionization in newsrooms that previously weren't unionized as well. Sure have. It is rolling through certain industries. It's rolling through the universities as well, right? right. We've got strikes going on at several public universities this week. Uh, get us up to speed, David. Right. Uh, there, um, it, Brandon Johnson, mayor-elect, made news uh, early this week by showing up at one of these strikes at uh, Chicago State University, the first time in memory that a mayor has shown up to kind of walk a picket line. And yeah. uh, we're seeing also strikes at several different uh, universities up here in Northern Illinois, uh, Governor State University, Northeastern Illinois. Eastern mm-hmm. Illinois, I'm hearing, uh, just reached yeah. a tentative agreement okay. since we've been on the air. So. I'm a mater. Uh, well, oh, is it? Is it your old mother? Yeah. Uh, they turn uh, out great journalists. World-class <laughs> local journalists. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The product right That's here. That's right. Charleston, <laughs> the, the issues that at, at each of them are, are serious, that, that uh, in the midst of, in some cases, declining enrollment, which is causing additional pressure on the universities. They're, the administrations are trying to cut cut costs, and uh, and yet the staff feel like you know they still have to be paid. It, it's a tough situation. The interesting thing about Johnson showing up that one um, picket line is that the governor is the boss of these union workers right. ultimately, and Brandon Johnson is trying to form good relations with Governor J.B. Prisker, which Lori Lightfoot did not have mm. as mayor. And so it was an interesting choice that he made uh, to go out there and 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 show up for those strikers. Do you agree, Alice? I'm sure you saw that. What are your thoughts on what that signals about what we're going to see over the next four years? I think Brandon yeah. Johnson on the picket lines at CSU. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it will be very interesting as the um, you know term goes by how um, how active he will be in um, you know kind of sending messages like that <clears throat> when it has to do with government unions, um, ones that. <clears throat> Uh, J.P. Pritzker would oversee. I think in this case, um, you know, he was on the picket lines of a university that, um, you know, it has financial issues, but it serves a majority minority uh, student population. And I think it really does fit in with, uh, you know, what Brandon Johnson has been talking about, um, where he is asking why shouldn't they have the like attract world class faculty and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so this I, was very much on brand. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. All right. Let's stick with schools for a bit, Alice. Students at two Southside Chicago high schools, they've got new leaders this week. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Um, the short answer is we don't know. <laughs> CBS <laughs> is um, very tight-lipped All right, as next usual. story. <laughs> yeah, right. um, but yeah, I think uh, uh, what I can say is I'm sure this really frustrates parents uh, where the story seems to be again and again that big seismic changes are happening among staff and they're left in the dark as to what is going on with these administrators that are in charge of looking after their kids. And um, I don't know what yeah. what the actual investigation entails, but um, does will continue to probably be um, 
an issue bubbling up at schools. Yeah, and just some additional context. Not not much, as Alice pointed out, but we've got uh, Everett Edwards, who's taking over as administrator in charge after uh, Linboom Math and Science Academy's former leader, Abdul Muhammad, was removed. Now, Muhammad was reassigned. This was after an investigation, but CPS didn't reveal what it learned about the, the former principal. And then at Hyde Park Academy, Kenneth McNeil is now administrator in charge after CPS suspended the former principal due to another investigation that is also not public. So that lack of information, I just think, probably just leaves a lot of parents and students and teachers wondering, what's up? (laughs) What's going on here? Right. And it also could just lead to a lot of unhealthy speculation. Um, True. I think one of the schools on the South Side we're talking about here, um, there was a rumor about teachers, I don't know, sending students to the polls and making them vote for Brandon Johnson, like seniors or whatever. And then there was like some speculation that they were removed because of that. But the investigation actually started a lot earlier. So that's probably not what happened. Mm. But, you know, just so people if, are making up all kinds of yeah, stories. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Dave, 21 schools across Illinois. They got alarming calls this week. Now, we talked about this at the top of the show last hour, but remind us what happened for folks who are just joining us. Well, these are called swatting calls, and they've gone out uh, across the state, uh, Chicago, Aurora, Rockford, Springfield. Uh, and, and basically, it's, it, it's a situation where schools are, are fielding these calls uh, war- you know, with uh, threats that there are active shooters targeting those schools. And, and, and in each case, uh, you know, local police, law, law enforcement is having to activate <clears throat> to basically investigate these things and in no case was anything uh found to be true yeah <clears throat> and so in this you know it's it, it's it's so as a, far as we know law enforcement officials they, they don't know who nothing. the caller is no so it's it's a it's a clearly an act of terrorism in a way uh is it coordinated i don't think law some enforcement people were wondering knows. if it was just some random kid trying to get out of doing the sats because that's what was also happening well i mean on that, that day that, possibly but i mean i think the fact that there are so many of these calls yeah. going out all over the place it it, it hints it's something coordinated, and and is it does it happen within our borders? Does it happen, uh, you, you know, from one of our enemies someplace it, abroad? Is it, is it activism on the part of students who have walked out on classes during the middle of the day to make a point about like a their protest? feeling of of lack of safety within schools? It might fit into that context as well, which it's very disruptive, as is walking out of class, but a. False alarm, if that's what it is, it is a different level of danger that's created because of the police response that is required in a situation like that. Yeah. Our friends on YouTube chiming in on these education stories. Mike Rooney says, all of our educators need to be paid a living wage. Everyone needs to be paid a living wage. Glad to see Brandon Johnson on the picket line. Uh, Michael Marsh disagrees. Brandon Johnson made a bad call when he joined the picket line. That's what Michael had to say there. Uh, Arise Chicago says workers are unionizing everywhere. Yesterday, the Portillo's food production workers in Addison just unionized with uh, the iron workers as well. And then Michael Marsh adds again, uh, Brandon Johnson should stay above the fray. He made a bad call joining the picket line. <laughs> Welcome to being mayor, Brandon Johnson. Everything you do now Everything is you be do. different once <laughs> <Second> you. <guess. laughs> you can't win them all. <laughs> all right, let's switch gears, David. Illinois is getting $67 million. This is from uh, an e-cigarette manufacturer. Yes, uh, Juul, the e-cigarette maker. Uh, this is part of a national lawsuit that involves 
a number of different states, a $462 million settlement for Illinois, New York, California, Colorado, Massachusetts, New Mexico, Washington. A lot of places. It's not just the state of Illinois. Right. But nevertheless, um, what we've seen here in Illinois as elsewhere is that Juul, in part because of its misrepresentations, its failure to disclose that nicotine was in these uh, e-cigarettes and also was going to addict our children, uh, they are paying the price. Uh, The thing is, the market has changed. Juul is no longer dominant, but plenty of kids are getting their hands on e-cigarettes. And Mm -hmm. given some of the academic studies about the impact impact of e-cigarettes, of vaping on, pe- on young people's brains in particular. It's not just that it's addictive. It can also rot your brain. Stay away from e-cigarettes, kids. <laughs> Don't yeah, I smoke. I suck at that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, some of the restrictions being placed on Juul, they include a limit on the number of purchases an individual can make. Uh, the company can't market directly or indirectly to youth, and uh, they cannot provide free or reduced-priced samples. So. That should help, right? Um, David, sticking with you, yesterday at St. Sabina, uh, Sabina's uh, father, Flager, was part of uh, this group that was protesting outside the Walmart in uh, the Chatham neighborhood. What was going on with the retailer? Well, what's going on is Walmart is closing stores in the Chicago area. Um, they're, they're not pulling out of the market entirely, but they've closed have announced plans to close them very abruptly in Chatham, in uh, Kenwood, Little Village, and Lakeview. Um, This is not unlike what happened when Whole Foods moved into Englewood with all kinds of publicity. Uh, To Walmart's credit, they have moved, did move into this market pretty aggressively, went into some neighborhoods that needed this kind of investment, but they claim that they've been losing more than $10 million a year, and their losses have been growing. Mm. And at some level, you just can't sustain uh, those persistent losses. And so when the city works with these big retailers to try to develop these markets, uh, there has to be a way to find that market and encourage that market. And it'll be interesting to see what Brandon Johnson does. He's intended to build on to Mayor Lori Lightfoot's Invest Southwest program, get economic development going in these cities. Right. It's a big loss that these major retailers can't make it go. Uh, but um, there are others who are perhaps willing. Aldi, for example, is one. Yeah. Um, save a I lot. I mean, you're losing a lot with Walmart. Walmart's got everything, right? And in a lot of these neighborhoods where the stores uh, are, are closing. I mean, we're also talking access to groceries for, for folks who are otherwise living in a food desert and access to medication, right, with the pharmacy. Three of these stores were mainly groceries. One was a super center, but you're absolutely right. Walmart a massive just loss. delivers yeah. everything when it moves in. And it's an issue that I think mayors, upon mayors, have never really cracked the code of. Like, how do we incentivize and get these affordable grocery suppliers to, not suppliers, stores, to stay in these neighborhoods? Um, Rom's. I, I think he offered a tiff to Whole Foods. That didn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori, um, you know, she has, uh, I, I think she's like acquired land around some West Garfield Park um, empty storefronts, and it remains to be seen what will be done there. But Yeah, and the food desert problem is really substantial because it has impacts on public health, et, et cetera. And so it's a real blow to these communities yeah. to lose Walmart. And also a huge blow. I mean, they, they got days notice, right? Yes. It's happening yeah. so fast. Walmart lobbied really hard for years to get into Chicago. So is it surprising to you folks that they decide to close several stores and with hardly any notice? At some point, businesses that are losing that um, that amount of money can feel like, hey, we gave it a go and it didn't work. And somebody has a line manager who's got to defend those losses year after year. 
And if they've been losing money for 10 years, at some point, they're going to stop. It, it's unfortunately not shocking. Mm-hmm. It's good to see people like Father Flager hold Walmart accountable, put pressure on public officials to not yeah. give up because we can't afford to just see company after company walk away from these communities. I was surprised by some reaction from more like right-wing media and some more conservative like aldermen and officials trying to solely pin it on crime or on like Kim Fox or shoplifting or the riots because I don't think that really cut into their bottom line. And yeah. They were losing profit. I'm not surprised at all for some reason. Uh, well, before I let you folks go, looking ahead to next week, what are you going to be keeping an eye on? Dave, you first. Well, I, I am... I am entrenched in the Dirksen Federal Building for, yeah. for the next week, so I <laughs> right. think that will or be wait, where I'll be Do at. I have to ask? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, I think the short thing, you know, it, it, will, will the Chicago Bulls be uh, still playing basketball next week? Good question. Yeah, yeah, Hope question. so. Fingers crossed. David. Well, I have a sports uh, idea in mind as well. Jonathan Taves played his last game uh, for the Blackhawks uh, together with uh, Patrick Kane, won three Stanley Hops. Cups during, I think it was 15 seasons. Uh, the the transformation of that franchise, yeah. um, it it and just remembering what they brought to the city, and we were a Blackhawks town, and they become just a complete slide sideshow yeah. later. It's, it's pretty sad. And finally, Alice, real quick, what are you working on? Um, I'm going to look into uh, Brandon Johnson's Springfield agenda as he might go there next week. He's going to try to build inroads and. Top of his agenda is passing an increase to the real estate transfer tax to fund homelessness services, oh. also known as Bring Chicago Home, which uh, never succeeded under Lightfoot, even though uh, she did have she was she did favorite during yeah. the campaign. Trial, oh, that'll so. be one to watch for yeah. sure. That is the Chicago Tribune's Alice Yin, WBEZ's Dave McKinney, and David Grising of the Better Government Association. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guthman, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Meha Ahmed. If you love hearing local journalists break down all the big stories in Chicago and Illinois, then make sure that you're subscribed to our podcast or our YouTube channel. We give you the scoop on everything that you need to know every single Friday. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Enjoy the weather and have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.